0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hey, Chargers fans. This is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media, including our Patreon account, where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome into the Guilty Charge Charged podcast presented by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Steven. I'm your host. Uh, joining me today are Alex and Tyler. Alex, we had a little fun at the end of last episode. How are you doing today, man? Uh, too much fun, according
2: to the fun police. But uh, no, yeah, last <laughs> episode was pretty fun. Uh, I, I did not plan that. If I had planned that, it, it would not have come off that uh, well acted. So... Uh, yeah, it would have been a mess. But uh, yeah, no, last episode was fun, and uh, I'm excited to talk about the uh, steven's favorite episode today—the big, the big Hogmolly's
1: episode. Let's go! Can't wait for that one. Got some other fun conversations for you guys as well. Uh, Tyler, how are you doing today, man?
3: Yeah, you know, Stephen, I was doing well, but then you told me that you didn't exactly know much about Pokemon when I oh put up a picture God. of Zapdos. Everyone's like, "Who's this?" And I'm like, "It's clearly Zapdos." What kind of stupid <laughs> question is that? then Steven's like, "Oh, I didn't I didn't do that in my childhood." So, Steven, um, you know, sometimes I feel like we don't ask you how you are doing. So, first, how are you doing? And second of all, I have a quiz question for you. See if you okay. get I'll send you I'll send you 10 bucks if you get this right. Can you name and for those at home, can you name this Pokémon? He's a psychic duck. Here's a picture of him. <laughs> do you know the name of this Pokémon? He's a psychic duck.
1: I mean, he looks like a platypus, but I could not tell you his actual name for, the, for Pokemon. I'm, I'm Can sorry. I
3: answer? That's okay. Can you give us a guess?
1: <laughs> uh, platyzoid?
3: I don't know. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Alex, it is called Psyduck. a... Psyduck.
1: Very nice. Thank you very much. Steven, how go. are you? i'm doing good man yeah not not much pokemon in my childhood it was it was all about you know the, the marvel cartoons cartoon network all that good stuff and, and of course football and basketball and everything like that so uh my brother is a big pokemon guy loves playing pokemon go but i have no idea whatever he's talking about huh. whenever he talks about it but okay uh, it's all i mean good. the two so asians know we we'll some come on <laughs> yeah of course obviously i know <laughs> So no shade. Obviously, you know everybody can do can have their own things, right? So just Pokemon is not one of mine. Um, gonna have some fun conversations today. We're gonna talk about Daniel Popper's list of the twenty most important chargers. We're also gonna talk about Joey Bosa uh, coming up in the ESPN's annual executive edge rusher rankings. They haven't gotten much further than defensive tackle and edge rusher, I think, unless Jeremy Fowler posted another one today. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And then we're going to continue our deep dive on these Chargers position groups, and like Alex said, we will be talking about the offensive line. So I am very excited about that. But like I always say, I'm always very excited to talk about football, talk about the Chargers, um, and let's start with Daniel Popper's list. So we're going to go down from twenty to all the way to one, mm-hmm. and as he clarified, this is not the best players on the roster. Of course, um, in his in his article, he he used the clarification of Sam Tevy. last year. He had Sam Tevy. And I think number five, if I'm not mistaken, as the most important charger, obviously Sam Tevi is not the fifth best or was not the fifth best charger. Uh, he was just saying from an important standpoint and an impact standpoint. So uh, from 20 to 15, he has at number 20 receiver Michael Williams, 19 linebacker Kenneth Murray, 18 corner Asante Samuel Jr., 17 Uchenna Unwosu, 16, Matt Filer. So we'll talk about those five first. Again, Mike Williams, Kenneth Murray, and Samuel Jr., Chenna Unwosu, and Matt Filer. So Tyler, we'll start with you. What stands out to you about this initial five that Daniel Popper wrote down in terms of importance and significance to the Charger season? Yeah, there's a couple on here
3: I would definitely put over someone that we're going to talk about in just a bit. Uh, Mike Williams being at 20 is kind of fine, even though, you know, Mike Mike Thomas would not be the 20th ranked player and most important player on the Saints, but... Yeah. Here we are with Mike Williams at 20, supposedly the ex-receiver. Kenneth Murray is interesting. I think he's a little bit low. Um, I wouldn't. I can, we'll talk about another player in a bit. Um, I guess I could see that, like, okay, Tranquil is the starter. And then I guess technically, you know, like, he's he's, he's always going to be on the field, even in passing situations. And I guess if Murray goes down, I suppose you can just throw in Kaiser White or, you know, just not have linebackers on the field. So I suppose, especially in the Staley scheme, you know, Murray being low, I I guess kind of makes sense, but I still disagree because there are other guys on this list that I would put uh, behind Murray and I put Murray ahead of them. And then Nwosu not being as important. Like he has to work. He has to work. He, I don't know if he's, you know, top 10, but at 17th, I don't think so. If he doesn't work, they have Chris Rumpf and Kyler Fackel, and the defense is going to suffer quite a bit without Nwosu doing well this season. So you know, is he, like, super important to the team? Not necessarily, and there are a lot of important players on this team, but mostly being right. at 17 is a little bit too low for me. Alex, what do you, what
1: stands out to you here?
2: Uh, I think Asante Samuel Jr. should actually be a little bit higher, um, just based <laughs> on the fact that he's probably going to have to be the outside corner from day one uh, as, as CB2. Yeah. You know, maybe they'll you know try to do some stuff with him at safety and some other positions, but... I think that that's kind of crucial, because if he goes down, then you know you have to put Chris Harris at CB2, which he doesn't want to play, or you have to put Brandon Face on there, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but I do think people are expecting big things from Asante Samuel, and it's kind of what we talked about last yeah. episode, cornerback to me just uh, is one of the thinner positions on this team, so I would I would like to see Asante Samuel a little bit higher, but... That ultimately does kind of depend on how he plays, and I guess you can make the argument that they do have enough veterans in the cornerback room to make that kind of work if he does go down, but Mike Williams at 20, I think the thing with that is the Chargers are pretty deep at receiver, actually, right? Like, they do have guys that can step up. I don't think that's as much of a referendum on Mike Williams as much as, like, It is just, they have a bunch of receivers that can, you know, work there. Um, You know, this was kind of, people mentioned, like, you know, N'Keele Harry, and should the Chargers give up a pick for him, it's like, he would be wide receiver six on this team. (laughs) Like, what's the point? You know, you have Tyron Johnson, you have Jalen Guyton, who can do work, and you just drafted Josh Palmer, right? So, not, you know, presumably, if Mike Williams were to go down, you do have Tyron Johnson and Josh Palmer that can step up. So, I understand Mike Williams at 20. I think the Saints are a little bit thinner at receiver than, than a team like the Chargers is in, in terms of the all-around unit. Um, but, you yeah, know, I, I think the first five are generally fine, but it, it kind of depends on how you think of the positions. Uh, Uchenna and Wosu may not be the most important individual player, but like Tyler said, because of who he has behind him, in fact, Roland Rumpf, particularly Rumpf, if one of those guys has to come in and be, you know, a starter and have those starting level snaps that could be problematic pretty quick, uh, pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree about Mike Williams being 20th. Um, you know, like Alex was saying, and like I've said before, to me, the, the position group that I feel best about in terms of the depth is the receiver room, because mm-hmm. you know, like Alex highlighted, you've got Johnson, you've got Guyton, you've got Palmer, maybe Joe Reed takes a step forward and honestly like Austin Eckler is essentially another receiver. So you know, if Mike Williams or Keenan Allen miss some games, like I'm, I'm okay with the receiver room. Um, Some of the other rooms that we've talked about, not so much, but um, I, I agree. The first name that I saw here that I was like, wow, really? Like this low, was Uchenna and Wosu because Kenneth Murray, I kind of get, you know, the justification of of him being this low because of Drew Tranquil. Um, One of those two had to be in the top 12, in my opinion. And Uchenna and Wosu, I think should be in the top 10 because when you're talking about, the ceiling of this defense, right? Like so much of that hinges upon Joey Bosa playing at an elite level, right? And rightfully so he's in the top, let me make sure, uh, he's in the top three on Daniel Popper's list, which we'll get to in a second. But, you know, I think for Bosa to really play at his best, Brandon Staley and company really need to reduce the amount of double teams that he faces. And yes, you can do some creative things with this scheme and you, and you can put, you know, uh, you can put in WOSU on the same side. You can have blitzes come from that direction. Mm-hmm. But as long as you don't have a true complementary pass rusher opposite of him, yeah. he's going to get double teams, right? And so if Uchuda and WOSU plays at a very, very high level, that's going to allow Joey Bosa to have more freedom. And we saw this when Melvin Ingram got hurt. Bosa's double team rate was exponentially higher. Because nobody knows about Uchenna Unwosu, and nobody respects him to the same level that they do Melvin Ingram. Now, I don't need Unwosu to be Melvin Ingram. I just need him to be a functional, serviceable, complimentary pass rusher. And frankly, edge rusher is the second or third most important position in the group. So by default, by position only, I think Uchenna Unwosu should be higher. Right. Yeah, I agree.
3: So, Stephen, you have the athletic subscription, and I don't. Uh, What was the rationale for (laughs) having Unwosu
1: at 17? Do you remember? Um, I I don't remember off the top of my head. I wish I had the article Mm -hmm. pulled up. Um, But I have to imagine that, you know, he is like the secondary pass rusher. Yeah. Um, You know, maybe Jerry Tillery is considered higher, which he does have, Mm -hmm. you know, higher, which we'll mention in a second. But, um, you know, I would have to pull the article back up. Um, So we'll move on to the next five here. At number 15, Daniel Popper had Jared Cook. At 14, Jerry Tillery. 13, Drew Tranquil. 12, Linvah Joseph, and 11, uh, Nasir Adderley. So Alex, we'll start with you on this one. What stands out to you about 15 to 11? I think you could move Jared Cook down a little bit
2: in favor of somebody like Uchenna Nwosu or like Asante mm-hmm. Samuel just because I think you know what production you're getting out of him, and I don't right. think... I think the tight end group in terms of the receivers you have there isn't so bad to the point where it all hinges on... 34 year old jared cook plus the chargers are you know (laughs) built like a team where they have somebody like steven mentioned austin eckler is pretty much an extra receiver um and and they kind of have all these weapons that are versatile on the field so i don't think jared cook really deserves to be in the top 15 but i get why he is because he is taking over as tight end one Uh, Linval Joseph is obviously very important uh, just because they are not super uh, uh, well they are thick in the tackle group I should say they're they're very thin in terms of the depth uh, currently so yeah I mean Linval Joseph you can really make an argument for him in the top 10 I think Uh, and I don't think it would be crazy just because you know unless Justin Jones or somebody else really takes kind of that next step then it's always going to be relying on Linval Joseph pretty pretty much all the time. Uh, so I, I think he could make an argument for the top 10. But in general, I don't totally disagree with this 11 to 15 range. I think it's pretty accurate, but uh, I think you could make a, a couple cases.
3: It's at, at this point, it's kind of like a who do you put in, who do you take right. out. So even if I say that, oh, this guy should be higher, I would have to do the entire list <laughs> yeah. to figure out where exactly I'd have guys slotted. But, like, if yeah. it were up to me, like I was talking about earlier and you said already, yeah, I wouldn't have Jared Cook in the top 15. Like, I don't think that tight end, even if even at tight end one, yeah, I don't think he would be as important to this team. Would I put Hunter Henry there last season? No, I'm not really quite sure. Anyway, so Jared Cook, yeah, I would kind of move. Limval Joseph, just because he's the only guy that's going to do his job at his job and do it hopefully well <laughs> for an entire season. Like, you yeah. could make the argument that he should be higher. I think 12 is completely fine. I just think Drew Tranquil, like, again, who do you take out? And, like, everybody after Drew Tranquil, I mean, I'd probably flip him over Joseph, probably. probably but, you know, again, while linebacker is devalued, they're going to have one. They're definitely going to have one in the middle pretty much the entire right. time. And so, yeah. you know, as an every down linebacker and I, I just I don't know, 13, especially because you have Murray already at 19. So not having either of those linebackers in the top 12. I think is a little surprising, but like not a bunch of huge movements. But the only one, like you said, that I would really move out of this would be Jared Cook. I,
2: w- I would also just add yeah. that with the Hunter Henry question, you know, Hunter Henry mm-hmm. had more pass blocking responsibility last year. And also Good going into last season, we didn't really know what Donald Parham was and what Steven Anderson were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like to me, that is probably why if I had to say I would probably rank Hunter Henry a little bit higher than somebody like Jared Cook
1: yeah, well said yeah absolutely Thank you. yeah absolutely agree there um i you know it is like tyler was saying it is tough i i happen to think that you know like i, I mentioned about uncena and wosu and i'm gonna say the same thing about jerry tillery like hmm. i think for this defense to really reach its peaks like you've got to have more pass rush production with from tillery and in wosu and you know, I'm glad that you mentioned Linvon Joseph, and I do think that he is very important from a run-stuffing run production. You know, I, I've spent the, the last weekend or so watching the Chicago Bears defense, and, you know, Hakeem Hicks was really kind of the engine behind that monster. Like, you mm. take out Hakeem Hicks from that team, and it would have been a really, really good team, a really good unit, that is, but, you know, they were still, like, a really good unit with him and without him, so... I think Linvon Joseph is important, but he's probably another one that I would move down and I would probably try to figure out a way to get Jerry Tillery in the top 12 because this, this is the make or break year. Like I, yeah. I happen to think that he can break out. I, I think that we've seen some good flashes, but if he doesn't, then the chargers are in trouble because not only did they, you know, waste a first round pick, like they're going to have several other needs heading into the next draft and it's so hard to find a really good pass rushing defensive tackle. Like that's why Chris Jones and all these guys are getting the big bucks right now, because it's so difficult to find elite production from the, from the defensive tackle group. So I would put Jerry Tillery higher personally.
3: Yeah. That's good call there. Who would you move then? Like Joseph?
1: I would move, I would move Joseph down. And like I said, I would move cook down in favor of Unwosu. Mm -hmm. Um, I could maybe move Adderley down a couple spots. Like he is important, and a lot of people, you know, have pegged him as a breakout player, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. But you know, he's always going to be you know secondary safety playmaker to Derwin. So I personally would put you know a defensive tackle, interior pass rusher kind of guy, over you know a second safety.
2: I guess it purely just kind of depends on what you expect. If you expect Jerry Tillery to break out, then yeah, I think he's probably in that top 15. Right. If you're kind of right. expecting hit or miss production, then, you know, I can kind of see where, where Popper would be coming from uh, with leaving yeah. him. He was left out of the top 20 entirely, right? No, Tillery was at oh, 14, okay. Adderley was at 11. All right, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I can see why he was a little bit lower. It You know, it just depends on what your expectations are for him and if it's really a breakout season Mm -hmm. and i guess that's kind of maybe what popper is kind of prognosticating there
3: but not totally sure so out of curiosity alex because i know you're higher on justin jones than i think both of us are you know would you put justin jones on the list and would you how far from jared tiller would he be you think on this list if you put him on here well
2: I would say Justin Jones is a little bit different because he's kind of, yeah, I mean, he's Mm -hmm. more your traditional run-stuffing defensive tackle that I don't expect to, you know, get involved in the pass rush, like, totally. Uh, Jerry Tillery, like, if he does hit his ceiling, like, yeah, I think you could make his argument, you know, even if he doesn't hit his ceiling, like Stephen said in maybe the negative case where he doesn't break out, you know, he would still be very important uh, to this team, so... Uh, you know, I, I think that he still okay. can yeah. apply that pressure, right? And that's kind of where the league is trending. So I probably wouldn't include Justin Jones if I did a top 20. I would have to think about it. Maybe it's a good video idea. But um, yeah, I, I think that I would probably put Tillery over Jones still just because he has that pass rusher uh, functionality.
3: Cool.
1: Yeah. I think that that's absolutely the right call. I, I like Justin Jones, and he had that he had a great interview with Haley Elwood mm. uh, yesterday. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. It's very similar to like Mike Williams. Like we've been hearing about Justin Jones's pass rush ability for a couple of years, <laughs> and so it's like okay, like this this is time because he's a free agent after this year. So um, he's another one that's it's not quite to the extent of Jerry Tillery in terms of make or break, but you know we got to see it. Um, all right, next on the list, we'll go 10 through six. Austin Eckler at number 10, Michael Davis at number nine, Keenan Allen at number eight, Brian Belaga seven, and Chris Harris at number six. So Tyra, we'll jump back to you here. Uh, what stands out to you about 10 through six?
3: A couple of things. Three guys in particular, um, Eckler at 10 actually makes sense to me though. Like, despite the fact that he's going to have a big role in this offense And, you know, he might even be the best offensive skill position player in this offense, not counting. Well, no, like compared to Keenan Allen, I think Eckler might actually do his job better play for play. But that's all for a whole debate. At some point last year, I think he was an
1: interesting one. Yeah,
3: I think he was at some point better than Keenan Allen last season, at least as a playmaker. Um, But I think in the scheme like this, I think the scheme and the line kind of make the running back more so than Eckler. Now, Eckler's a special talent and much better than any of the running backs they have on the roster currently. But I still think they can sort of get by. If you watch a la, you know, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, how many running backs do they churn through? And yet they still seem to find success with those guys. And so while I think Eckler definitely makes the offense that much better and so much better as a running back and a receiver, I do think if expectations should be met by these other running backs that they have brought in, that I don't think he's as necessary. Um, Chris Harris is a little bit high for me here. On the one hand, I understand that like you want the veteran presence. And if anybody knows how to use him, it's probably Brandon Staley and Ronaldo Hill. I think they understand what to do with him, how to use them and whatnot. But like having him over Keenan Allen, I think is, is yeah. a little bit crazy. Now, like we talked about earlier, we love the receiving room and granted Keenan Allen went down or was hurt or whatever. And Justin Herbert had a great finish to the season without Keenan Allen. But you know, I don't think that Herbert's progression so early in the season happens without Keenan Allen. And I don't think that the that season is even as, as close to as it was for Herbert without Keenan Allen. Whereas Harris went down and, like, yeah, like they missed him. And of course the defense would be better when Harris is better and he's healthy. But, like, him at six is it's just way yeah. too high for me. And I wouldn't have Harris over Davis. Like, it's not like right. if Harris goes down, you know, you could slide Asante Samuel Jr. in a slot, but face him on the outside. And I think you'd be okay. Like, davis goes down you put face on the outside and then it's like i I don't know to me you have like i harris is too high for me
2: yeah i i I would also put davis higher than harris just because he has those intangibles that you can't teach like we talked before like um you know you need his speed i think his physicality and also he is the cb1 and chris harris doesn't particularly like playing outside corner (laughs) so if i had to you know not that i would really choose this but if you picked one that you know someone had to go down to an injury i I mean i would pick chris harris because michael davis is more important Mm -hmm. right and you can just put asante samuel jr in slot now i think he would get kind of bombarded by some things because he is a rookie but like I think the drop off between CB1 uh, if Mike Davis went down in slot if Harris went down, I think the the drop off is probably less in the Harris case. Right. Um I think you could actually make the argument that Austin Eckler is more important than Keenan Allen, uh like like Tyler said, just from the standpoint that their offense last year when he went down looked bad and I mean like <laughs> You know, we can have expectations for this running back room. I hope Joshua Kelly has a bounce-back year. I hope Justin Jackson stays healthy. But, man, like, if it doesn't, and, you know, you're kind of depending on, like, hey, Larry Roundtree, what do you got (laughs) if Austin Eckler goes down? (laughs) Like, I think things could get problematic pretty fast. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, and what Austin Eckler just offers you in the passing game as a whole just being more, not even, like, necessarily a productive receiver, but just being a body on the field that the defense has to worry about. I think you can make the argument that he should be a little bit higher than Keenan Allen, so that's probably what I would say, but, I mean, Keenan Allen is wide receiver one, and the Chargers would be boned if he did go down. Uh, Maybe they could win, you know, one game where he has to miss, but they probably can't really go on, like, an extended... You know, winning streak uh, without him, obviously. So, uh, I guess my two takeaways from here would be: I would probably put Davis over Harris, and
1: I would also say uh, Eckler is a little bit more important than Keenum. Yeah, you know, if I had to pick someone that I would probably have take and have the biggest fall from this list, it would be Chris Harris because, you know, if there's a position that you can. You know, in terms of the secondary, if there's a position from the secondary that you can like scheme around, it's the slot corner because you can, like you guys say, you can put Asante Samuel Jr. there. You can put Derwin James there. You can put Mark Webb there. You can put Elohi Gilman there. You can put Drew Tranquil out in slot more often. So, you know, there, there are different things that you can do with the slot and you can always have a safety over the top. Like, you know, this too high safety shell is going to make things so much easier for the middle of the defense because they're always going to have help. And, you know, so I would move his Chris Harris probably all the way down out of the the top 12, to be honest with you. Um, I think if he plays great, you know, it's a similar conversation to everybody else, right? Like if Chris Harris is great, then they're probably a really, really, really good defense. But, you know, I, I don't think they need Chris Harris. I think they need Michael Davis to be great. I think they need Keenan Allen to be great. So, yeah, Chris Harris is the one that I think would have the biggest fall, in my opinion. All right, so let's round it out here. Uh, the top five, according to Daniel Popper, most important chargers, uh, Rashawn Slater at number five, Corey Lindsley at number four, Joey Bosa at number three, Derwin James at two, and, of course, Justin Herbert at number one. So, uh, Alex, we'll finish it off with this segment here. What stands out to you, Boo, about the top five?
2: Uh, nothing I can really argue about. I mean, you really have the three most crucial uh, pieces on the offensive line, um, in, you know, Slater and Lindsley. It was, who was the third offensive line? Oh, no, sorry, Bosa was, yeah, in there too. That's so, the I second. mean, you really have the two most important offensive line additions that are supposed to be upgrades, um, and I think they will be. Plus, you have clearly the most important edge player, considering that, you know, we've talked to death about the depth there, and uh, so Joey Bosa has to stay healthy, and the same is true with Derwin James. Like, um, And I, I, I totally understand putting Derwin James over Bosa because Derwin James just has that impact at all three levels of the defense. Um, and I don't think that's something that anyone else on the Chargers can really say up to this point, uh, you know, pending kind of this daily usage of linebackers maybe. But yeah, I mean, it's really uh, Derwin at number two, uh, I think is pretty clear. I think you can make an argument for Slater or Lindsley over him. But to me, I, I would have to put Derwin number two just because of the last two years of how this defense has looked with him on the field and off the field. I mean, it's been pretty yeah. brutal to see. Uh, not much I can really argue here. Obviously, Justin Herbert is number one because he's the quarterback. Um, but yeah, I, I think you could argue like production things uh, in terms of like what is Justin Herbert's production, and you know, is it markedly worse or better than last year? But, you know, at the end of the day, he's the quarterback, and that's the most important position in football. So,
3: Yeah, I mean, not a lot to argue here. It's great to see a rookie in here. That's a lot of, of course, pressure on him, of course, as a first-round pick. But he's up to the task, and he's an important player, and he has to be a very important player very early on. And plus, if he pans out, you know, that helps them in free agency for years to come, not having to spend money on their offensive tackle. And then if he pans out in the zone scheme that they want, they can run that scheme. And and let Herbert do whatever, those keepers, whatever they want to do in the play action pass, everything they need to do in their offense. So yeah, I'm happy to see Slater here. Otherwise, I don't really have much to say. Like Bosa versus Derwin, I guess is an argument, but it's you know, you can go either way for that one. It, it makes sense to me to have Derwin at two.
1: I'd put Bosa at two would be fine. Whatever. So not much to say here. Yeah, I think this top five is exactly how I would have it. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the top four here are the top four. Like I don't think yeah. anybody below this list could jump Corey Lindsley, Bosa, Derwin, or or Justin Herbert. I could maybe see an argument for Keenan or Austin Eckler over Rashawn Slater. Um, I personally, you know, I wouldn't have that, have it that way. Um, but you know, this, uh, this team is going to go as this top four goes, in my opinion, and all four of these players have the potential to really, you know, put out elite seasons at their positions. And we'll talk about Joey Bosa, you know, here in a second, a little bit more, but, you know, for this team to obviously reach its potential, these four players have to stay healthy and they have to produce at an elite level. So, you know, we talked about with Robert Mays with the range of outcomes for this team Mm -hmm. being so, you know, drastic. And it's because Joey Bosa, Derwin James, and, you know, players that have been the most important players on the team haven't been able to stay healthy. So um, if Derwin and Joey are are able to stay, you know, healthy for – even just 14 games each, like that's going to be a huge thing because they've only played like seven games together. So, um, yeah, I, I totally agree with this top five. Um, that's exactly how I would have it as well.
3: Nice. All
1: right. So let's talk about, uh, Joey Bosa, the league's highest paid edge rusher, um, obviously popped up on the ESPN article written by Jeremy Fowler, uh, ranking the edge, best edge rushers in the league, according to NFL execs. Obviously, he did not specify who, but he said executives and coaches were surveyed. Um, And Joey Bosa was listed at third overall, although some idiot ranked him the (laughs) 10th best edge rusher, which whoever that is deserves to be fired like right now. Um, But TJ Watt was ahead of him as well as Miles Garrett had the number one ranking. So Tyler, what'd you make of that ranking for Joey Bosa as the third best edge rusher in the league? I mean, that sounds about right. Like, it's not too egregious. Now, I like, I legitimately
3: think that he is, when healthy, All just considering the numbers and everything and all the metrics, I think he's the best edge rusher in the league. He's number one in pass rush productivity and the only yep. guy with double digits, and he's second in run stop percentage. Like, he's basically the number one in, in two different levels, as a pass rusher and as a run defender, and the motor that he has. I truly think he is the best edge rusher in the league. But... He can't stay healthy, so that's the only reason I would have anybody else over him, right. because I don't know exactly how many games they've played, but I'm sure TJ Watt and Miles Garrett have been more available, and I know Garrett's pretty close. Watt's kind of the guy that I sort of have, it like, I would take him behind Bosa. Um, like, yeah, the production is definitely there, and there's no taking away from what he's done, but at the same time, his double-team rate is far lower than most of the guys, yeah. you know, uh, the the elite pass rushers on the list. So I forget what it was. At some point last season, you know, T.J. Watt was, like, behind Brian Burns. No offense to Brian Burns, but he was behind Brian Burns in, in, in double team rate, whereas Bosa was, like, on the other side with Aaron Donald. Not that Aaron yeah. Donald's an edge rusher. By the way, I take exception to whoever put Aaron Donald as, like, the top – eight like interior <laughs> defensive linemen like i don't understand even if your job is just to like if you suck you hate watching <laughs> football but you just look at numbers like how do you put joey bosa eighth or tenth the tenth yeah. or whatever it was like how someone like, how, the even ten, if, yeah. if you do nothing but look at pff grades and stats and everything how is joey bosa not in the top five I, it blows my mind but either way bosa at three is fine if he stays healthy he's the number one guy in my opinion I mean, even if you looked
2: at like just a picture of Aaron Donald, I feel like he should still be the number one defensive tackle. Um, but um, So yeah, I, I think that you could really debate the Bosa-Watt thing. Mm-hmm. I would probably put Garrett at number one and then Bosa at number two, but I I, I think it's pretty close either way. I think a lot of GMs and execs do look at, like, hey, look, it's a what have you done for me lately league. And Bosa's unfortunately Mm -hmm. missed games um, in the last three years. So, you know, that might, that's hampering his total uh, sacks numbers and all that. So, uh, but I do think when healthy, I mean, his pass rush win rate uh, was second to. So, I mean, he is that kind of a force. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's a very good run defender, right? Like, those, that's the two things you could say about him uh and so i think he deserves to be at number 2 number 3 you could put him really i think anywhere in the top 5 if you wanted to put him a little bit lower but number 10 that's that's yeah that's pretty egregious
1: jeez it, it was like mind blowing to cuz i i scrolled like just through the rankings and like what you know what people were saying about it and then i was like oh like let's i didn't notice after like six or seven players that they had like the highest ranking and lowest ranking. I was like, Oh, I wonder where Bosa's lowest ranking is. And I was like, 10, are we serious? 10? Like I could, I could think Bosa's range, you know, is probably two to six. I think six is probably the lowest that I could be like, okay, I can understand that. Like I can understand people still ranking Von Miller ahead of him or Khalil Mack, or, you know, maybe his brother, I guess. But, you know, I think if you get to a certain point, it's like that, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, you know, I think Chase Young can get there. Like Chase Young has an incredibly high ceiling, but he, he had some really, you know, rookie moments last year. And so, you know, if that's someone that ranked ahead of Joey Bosa, I would take an issue with that. Um, So I think two to six is probably like the best kind of range of outcomes. I do agree with Tyler, obviously that, you know, when healthy, he's been the best one and he really took a big step forward last year in terms of you know his efficiency like it went through the roof so I think he absolutely has the number one ceiling but if you're asking me today like if I had to draft an edge rusher like who would I take it would be Miles Garrett I think he's Mm -hmm. moved past the helmet incident and I think he's been able to (laughs) really play at such an elite level and such a consistent level yeah it was it was a mess but he's been so consistent so dominant and and he's been healthy, like that's the biggest mm-hmm. difference. And I think, you know, in terms of him versus T.J. Watt, like I don't think T.J. Watt is a very good run defender. I'd have to look at the the numbers again and, and watch him a little bit more. But that Pittsburgh defensive line, man, like they got five dudes up front, and so T.J. never he never has to face a double team. He never has to worry about chip blocks because teams don't have a choice. Like you you got to have you know one on one blocking across the board against the Steelers. And we'll see how that changes without Bud Dupree. But I, I would also have T J Watt lower on this list. Was the Garrett helmet
2: incident this year or last year?
1: It was what? it was 2019.
2: Oh my God! I've lost complete track of time and my life is a mess. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: I, I I couldn't remember when that was. Yeah, it's all good. All right, guys, any other thoughts on uh, Joey Bosa's ranking here before we uh, finish up with the offensive line discussion? No, nope, let's do it. Awesome, sounds good. So. Um, I, I think when it comes to this offensive line, I think Daniel Popper wrote about it, um, you know, talking about the rebuild that Tom Telesco has gone, um, that they've undergone this, this season, Should I shall I say. And I think he pointed out something that is really important, that the depth of this offensive line is going to take a year or two years to really take shape because I, I think that's the biggest thing. We all know that someone's going to get injured, you know – an offensive line in the NFL rarely stays healthy across all five spots. You know, even the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who had pretty good luck injury luck last year, mm-hmm. you know, they had um, Ali Marpet miss four or five games. Ryan Jensen missed a few games. So an offensive line injury is going to happen at some point. We just have to hope that it happens along the interior and not at one of the tackle yeah. spots because – uh, you know, I feel pretty good about Scott Questenberry and Brennan Hymas kind of stepping in from the interior standpoint. Um, so I guess the biggest question here for the offensive line is can Brian Bulaga play more than 12, 13 games? And if not, you know, how terrible is that going to be again for Trey Pipkins or Storm Norton or whatever the backup, can, backup plan is?
3: For me, it's, you know... In that same vein, okay. So the injuries are going to hit, and we should expect them to hit. It's just going to happen considering the offensive line. So when they hit, who is the next man up for this group? Do they shuffle? Do this? Is this group like Lynn would take this group and probably go? Oh well, chemistry, chemistry. You know, continuity, continuity, and we'll just like you know, we'll just keep them the same. We'll just plug and play the next right tackle up. But this yeah. team, and supposedly all offseason, we think versatility, versatility, versatility. And of course, you know, that's why Matt Filer was a target. So when Balaga goes down, is Matt Filer the backup right tackle? Actually, does that put the best players on the field to have you know, him at right tackle and I don't know, Hymas at left guard or Abushi at left guard, Hymas at right guard? You know, to, to me, I want to know, you know, what is, is there shuffling? Does the versatility actually matter to this offensive line and to Staley or whoever the offensive line coach is? I can't remember who the offensive line coach is. Anyway, Frank uh, Smith. Frank Smith, thank you. Um yeah, so when the injuries hit, what is their shuffle? Like how much do they move? Do you yeah. leave Slater at left tackle no matter what happens because you have to evaluate him or, you know, if the left guard goes down, if Filer goes down or if Filer has to go to right tackle, do you kick Slater to left to guard and leaves like I don't know what happens and you know in terms of his development, do you leave him there or do you do you shuffle him around to have the best offensive line possible? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if they would shuffle
2: that significantly, you know, in a single game, but if you're talking about, like, we know, say Matt Filer is going to miss six games or something like that, then Mm -hmm. I think you do have to seriously consider, you know, moving Slater inside or, you know, kind of rearranging things like that. For me, my biggest question um, is just how fast do they come together? Um, just yep. as a unit, because mm-hmm. these guys haven't played together, you know, there there isn't any continuity, really, on this line, other than Balaga and uh, Lindsley played together in Green Bay, but, like, that's really the only continuity you're going off of, and right. they they open up with a tough schedule, I mean, you know, we talked about the Washington game, particularly, but In addition to that, you have two teams that are really strong in the trenches in Baltimore and Cleveland, which is like a really figure out what you're about kind of moment. Um, So Mm -hmm. for me, I think that's a little bit concerning. And, you know, if you were to suffer an injury, I would hope it's not actually in those first six weeks, just because I think that's such important time for all of those Mm. guys to kind of learn how to play together. Um, so for me, that's my biggest question is, is what kind of, is the off season regimen? Obviously they're going to get time in training camp and get the reps. Um, but you know, how do you really go in kind of live game action? Because I think with no continuity, it'll probably at least take them three or four games to kind of get their act together a little bit. Um, and there might be a little bit of an adjustment period where, You know, they'll be better than last year's offensive line, I think, quite clearly, but it may not look quite as clean as everybody wants it to look out the
1: gate. Yeah, that's always been such an interesting thing to me, because, like, as an offensive lineman, like, you're always told, like, okay, you got to communicate, you got to have chemistry, like, it's drilled in us from, you know, middle school that you have to have good chemistry with the two men, in this case, next to you, right? And, and so this is going to be like the ultimate test, right? Because we've always heard you have to have continuity, you have to have chemistry. But if the Chargers offensive line comes out the gate and they play a great game against Washington, well, then that whole that's a myth. Like that's that idea is done for and we'll never talk about it again. So that is a very interesting one as it pertains to the depth. Like from the outside looking in, I think that Scott Questenberry should be the first in first lineman off, like off the bench injury strikes. I think Scott Questenberry should be that guy. And, you know, he never really got to prove that he could play guard. And I think he should be able to have that opportunity. So in my opinion, if Brian Belaga misses games, I'm kicking Matt Filer out to right tackle and I'm playing Scott Questenberry at guard. Like that would be my plan. Now, You know, is there, could there potentially be pressure to see what Trey Pipkins can do again, or are you cutting Trey Pipkins in favor of Storm Norton? Like, what's the plan there? I think if you're in a specific game, like Brian Bulaga goes down in the first quarter, you're probably just putting in his backup right away. The next game during practice, then you can make some changes. So like I said, I I think Scott Questenberry should be the first lineman off the, off the bench. I think he is the, the best backup. Um, I'd be obviously I'd be thrilled to see what they have in Brendan Hymes, you know if he could play guard or, or right tackle, but you know I, I think he could I think he probably is the third. I think I would probably go Questenberry one, Pipkins two. I know everybody kind of hates Pipkins, but the Chargers frankly just need to see what they have in him and if he's able to play at a high level or not finally in year three. So in terms of the backups, I would say Questenberry one, Pipkins two, Hymes three.
3: All right, I got a question for the offensive lineman here. So first I got to start with a stupid question. <laughs> stupid question, I think, is, okay, so you talk about the Saints and them having a sixth offensive lineman. That generally was an offensive tackle, right? They didn't throw, like, yeah. a Scott Questenberry guard in there and then just make it, okay, just dumb question, had to
1: ask. Yeah.
3: Okay, okay. who is the best shot of being that guy on this team then, the sixth offensive tackle? And do you think the Chargers would even run that, considering their personnel, or just screw it, because that's, that's just a bad group?
1: I think it's smart to run, you know, a six offensive lineman out there, you know, four, five, six snaps a game. Sure, I mean, you're getting a better blocker out there. Like, you know, Trey Pipkins struggles as a tackle, but he's unequivocally a better blocker than any of the tight ends. So I think it makes sense to do it on occasion, right? It obviously limits you. Like, you, you're not taking Trey Pipkins and, and having him run a flat <laughs> route or run a seam route on play action. So... I think it limits you, but I think it keeps. I think it keeps your your play snap. I, I think it keeps the play call sheet, you know, open. I think it allows you to get another player out there, and you know, it gets these players more game reps. So it's it's tough for me to say like what's you know what's the kind of goal here because you know if your goal is to take that six offensive lineman and like pull him across the field or like work up to the second level, then I'm taking Scott Questenberry. If you're just going to have him, like, kind of set the edge, then yeah, I would bring Trey Pipkins in. So, maybe we see both. I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if we see both out there.
2: Yeah, uh, another question that I think I have is, in terms of this Slater, I don't want to call it an experiment, because he did ultimately play left tackle, you know, in all of his years at uh, Northwestern. But... If he does, let's say he doesn't, you know, quite work out to the extent that they want in the first six to eight games, do they consider a guard move midseason, or is that something maybe they consider in the off season? That's that's a question that I kind of have um, regarding that. And we we did talk about his importance in the last segment, mm-hmm. and I do expect him ultimately to play all sixteen games at left tackle, um, but. I 17. do think seventeen. Oh my god, I hate <laughs> I hate this schedule. Jesus. Um anyway, but I I think uh, I, yeah. So that's the question for me: is if midseason it's not looking so hot, do they you know give it time to develop, or you know do they consider a change?
1: I think you kind of have to, like you know, Andrew Thomas was the first offensive tackle taken last year. And obviously, it's kind of different circumstances. He was picked four, Slater's pick 13. But I, I think Thomas showed some good signs down the stretch where the Giants now could say, okay, like, we have our guy. And so I, I think you have to give him a full season. Like, especially if you're like, okay, after eight weeks, he's kind of struggled. Well, it's like, yeah, but those are some damn good defenses. <laughs> right, so yeah. is that more about the opponent or more about him? So I think, like Tyler said, it would have to take, like, Blula goes down, like Lindsley goes down, for them to kick Slater into the interior. So, um, I think you have to play him, you know, all 17 games. If obviously if he stays healthy, I think the biggest thing for Slater is is his range of outcomes as wide as somebody like Andrew Thomas, or because I, I don't think that they're, the Chargers are going to get in his, a historic all pro level rookie season. Like the Buccaneers got out of Tristan worse, but I think Slater can be very, very good from day one. And so what does that look like? Is, is he more on the side of, um, Jedrick Wills, who was very, very good as a rookie, or is he just kind of a solid left tackle, which is kind of where I, I think he'll be solid. I think he'll be, you know, this is going to sound terrible, but I think he's going to be a slight improvement of Sam Tevi, you know, in terms of pressures allowed consistency, but I'm not expecting him to come in and be Tristan Wirfs right away. I think that's that's an unfair expectation, in my opinion.
3: Well, Stephen, thank you for helping us set the record for most dislikes on a video. <laughs> <Came laughs> Comment on, I'm sure people will be super measured about that one. Well, so
2: if, if you're talking slight improvement over Sam Tevy, we're you know th- plus five points on the PFF grade, so you could just bump him up to like from sixty to sixty-five, well, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Like, I, I know that Sam Tevi wasn't great, you guys. But, like, I mean, I absolutely wish that Sam Tevi were still on this roster. I would absolutely take him over Trey Pipkins right now as the primary swing tackle. So, you know, I, I know that people are going to take that as a slight towards Slater. But he is a rookie. Like, we have to remember that. And, you know, I, I think it's unrealistic to expect him to come in right away and be an all-pro, you know, elite kind of left tackle. So... I think it's going to take him a little bit. Like we talked about, they have some damn good defenses that they have to play. And, you know, it's going to take a little bit for him to, you know, come in. And we also have to remember that he did not play football last year. You know, we're essentially having to look at this, like he was injured and took the year off. So it's going to be interesting to see how that affects him or not affects him. But obviously I'm rooting for him. You know, he was the player that I most wanted at pick 13, never thought it was a possibility, but you know, I'm not expecting him to be, you know, a all-pro rookie either.
2: Yeah, I'm curious in terms of comparing the first-round picks, you know, how all of the guys who, coming into the league, had to deal with, you know, the COVID off-season last year versus mm. how the guys who are coming into the league uh, yeah. kind of post-COVID but maybe opted out, like Slater, uh, like Jamar Chase, how all those guys kind of find their footing in year one I, I think that'll be interesting and maybe the expectations are set too high for rookies now because of justin herbert um <laughs> you know coming in and, <laughs> no, and doing seriously. what yeah doing what he did uh you know under kind of the historic circumstances uh yeah. you know i did a whole thread about the whole backup for a reason thing but you know the reason he was a backup for a reason was just because of everything that happened and yeah. was thrown you know the nfl's way with and the world uh, so, you know, I think that that's, uh, going to be an interesting thing. So we'll say he's a rookie left tackle for a reason.
3: <laughs> Great. So we've got Rashawn Slater is hopefully marginally better than Sam Tevi and Alex. He'll Freeman be better than Sam Tevy. <laughs> okay. All right. We're on a roll. Let's see what I can. He will be better than
1: Sam Tevi. I'm just saying as purely as a rookie. Yes. We might see him struggle a little bit and that's okay because you know, he is a rookie and he did not play football last year. So yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to prepare yeah. people like, yeah, the last thing that I want to see as somebody that has, has loved Rashawn Slater is like totally. after, you know, the few weeks that they like Miles Garrett is going to get a sack yeah. against him. Like that's gonna happen, and people are gonna be like, "Well, they shouldn't. They should have taken a receiver." No, no, <laughs> oh, please, no. Let this let oh. this guy develop. Let him go through the lumps. Like, unfortunately, you know, for him, he, he's gonna draw some very tough matchups in the first half of the season, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like, he's gonna be a very, very good player in this league. It just might not happen right away as a rookie. Yeah, and. Un- Fortunately and unfortunately, as Chargers fans, we've been very spoiled with instant impact rookies, Um, (laughs) but that should not be the expectation every single year for the Chargers first-round pick, in my opinion.
3: Totally. And all he has to do is be a little bit better than DJ Fluker, who in his first three years, granted one of them as a guard, gave up 127 pressures, and had 29 penalties.
1: (laughs) You mean his first three seasons? Yes. Okay. Not the first year. Hell no. It wasn't that bad. 29 (laughs) penalties in one year. (laughs)
3: <laughs> um, no, that's Jerry I Tillery like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing, unfortunately We either get historically great or historically <laughs> bad um, Just be in the middle, please, Rashawn Slater Yeah,
2: yeah and I, I think that's totally fair Just to say, you know, hey, look He's going to have to play Chase Young He's going to have to play Miles Garrett And he's going to take his lumps, right? And at some point later in the season TJ Watt, uh, if you get kind of that far down the road, yeah. right? so there's just a lot of guys that he's gonna have to play in pretty good defensive lines throughout the schedule there's not really a defensive line that sticks out to me is like being super weak and just being something Slater can you know devour on his own like they're all at least decent um and so then you get those big you know kind of primetime matchups you know like we talk about with Chase Young um and Garrett and Watt and all those guys so I think that is a little bit, you know, concerning uh, for Slater, for sure.
1: Yeah, I thought it was really cool how Brian Balaga was talking about him with Haley Elwood, and he was just trying, he's been trying to, you know, install on Rashawn to just, like, really get prepared from a mental standpoint, Mm -hmm. and then you can play, you know, as fast as you possibly want. And, you know, to that point, he's going to be at the offensive line summit with Duke uh, Mannyweather this week, so that's going to be a great experience for him. You know, I have no doubt that Rashawn Slater is going to be prepared mentally and that he is going mm-hmm. to do everything he can to, you know, confront this, you know, terrible schedule in front of him. But, you know, we'll have to see what that is. The last question that I have on the offensive line is really how good or serviceable are Odeyabushi and Matt Filer at the guard spots? Because... You know, I think that the Chargers have upgraded those two spots. Granted, that doesn't say much. That's not a hard <laughs> thing to do over the, the past few years of Michael Schofield and Trey Turner and, and Forrest Lamp and Dan Feeney. But, you know, are these two players more – are they closer to serviceable players? Or can they be, like, really, you know, good players for this team and for this scheme? And, you know, we'll have to see how that one pans out because Ode Ibushi has been – a very solid swing offensive lineman throughout his career, but he's never gone into a season expected to be the starter. So, you know, what does that do for him? And Matt Filer, you know, I had Pittsburgh Steelers fans jumping down my throat saying that he was better at right tackle and that he got benched last year or whatever. But, you know, I'm really excited to see how Matt Filer pans out this year. I think they can do a lot more things in the run game with him than they could with a guy like Forrest Lamp. Um, but you know he does have a little bit of struggles in, in pass blocking. So, what are the Chargers getting out of their guards this year? I know it's going to be an upgrade, but how much? I guess is my question there.
2: Well, first thing, uh, I do think the idea of an offensive line summit is funny. The, just the <laughs> idea that it's like the the G seven or like the United Nations, yeah. just these big <laughs> offensive linemen coming together for a conference. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I I think that that's a good question and. I guess the other question in response to that would be... Is serviceable, you know, good enough... I mean, in comparison to last year's line. Like, is the difference that this team... With Justin Herbert and all these weapons... If all they need is a serviceable line... Then, yeah, I think somebody like Ode Ibushi... um, Being a starter is fine. I do think Feiler has a little bit more potential... um, Than Ibushi to, to be someone who's a true difference maker. But also i do think if all of these guys are staying healthy then they'll kind of enhance abushi a little bit right like yeah he was a replacement you know just serviceable level um you know guard throughout his career but you know if you do have him playing next to Corey lindsley and he's playing next to uh you know all these guys on the line then i think that that would give him a pretty big boost as well
3: oh wow you're cutting to me i'm trying to look something up real fast <laughs> <laughs> what were we trying to look up uh where filer abuji and everybody ranked in, in my little list of how bad the chargers were i think it was feeney was the first guy at 145th in pass blocking efficiency and then filer yes. abuji and lindsay were all like top 50 so i was trying to find exactly where they were
1: yeah yeah I, i'm obviously more confident in matt filer being a starter because we've seen him do totally. it over the last several years um Odeyabushi that you know they've said that he's going to have to earn his spot but I'd be pretty surprised mm. if he's not a starter. Yeah. Like it's it's like quotations like there's a competition there. Um so I, I fully expect Ibushi to be the starting right guard. Um that's how it looked like at least in OTAs. Um barring a truly like crazy ascension from Brendan Hymus in training camp like I do expect it to be Odeyabushi. Yeah. Um, I'm just like Are we getting is it is it maybe a little bit of you know fools 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 gold hello can I speak from last year Uh, or is he actually like a very solid player in this league so Mm -hmm. um, I guess that's the last question for me
2: yeah I mean other than Heimes who even would be there to push him for that spot yeah Yeah, like I don't I don't really think yeah I guess Questenberry was the other person that maybe you could think of as just you know if they want to move him to guard and have him be a starter um but you know I don't know if really Ibushi would be you know significantly worse than that and then I think the Chargers have larger problems if that's the case right um but yeah so I I really don't think there's anyone to push him unless you know like Steven said Brandon Hymas does take that leap and Maybe there is a possibility for that. You know, we talked about Justin Herbert not getting the chance to show his stuff in the preseason. Brennan Hyman will get, you know, some preseason snaps uh, and i will get a lot of those training camp reps. So, you know, if, if they see enough out of him, it's it's certainly possible.
1: Tyler, any other thoughts here?
3: It's the offensive line as far as I got. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, well, this was, this was more than I thought we would do. So I'm, <laughs> I'm very pleased with that one. Nice. So, um, hopefully you guys have enjoyed this episode. Um, we, as I said today on Twitter, we are doing a giveaway for, uh, the first preseason game against the Rams. So that's going to be the first, obviously the first, uh, game open to the public at SoFi stadium. So we're really excited about that. Um, that giveaway is on Twitter only. So make sure and, uh, go and retweet that, retweet that tweet. Uh, I'll make sure and pin that to our profile for the next couple of weeks. And, uh, hopefully we can get to 5,000 followers soon. As always, make sure and leave us a rating or a review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Turn those notifications on. All those things really help us. And we will see you guys next time.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why?